I know it feels too early to be talking about a November ballot, but we got to get started because there's so much to cover. So we're going to give you an overview today, and then we'll dive deeper in the future episodes. Welcome back to A Slice of Orange. Uh, Let's talk November ballot. So welcome back to A Slice of Orange. I'm Jody Balma. Uh, and, and we're going to get started talking about the November ballot. Uh, I know it's uh, just September, but we've got to get ready because with the mail-in ballots, the election really starts in October. Uh, and November 8th is just the deadline for when you have to turn those ballots in. So we've got a lot to cover in the next couple of months. And I want to get you ready for uh, to be a engaged and informed voters. So in future episodes, we'll dive deeper into the candidates and ballot measures that you need to vote for. But I want to just kind of give you an overview and I hope get you excited about uh, learning more uh, of what you're going to be voting for. So I say it all the time, um, but it's true. The rules of the game matter and the rules that we use for elections matter and often determine who wins or loses. So we'll talk about that this season. Um, at large elections for city council are different than district-based where we divide up. Um, so we'll talk about those for school board and city council races. We'll talk to a lot of those candidates. Um, let, let's just start with the overview. So in November, uh, one, of, one of the groups, the categories of offices that we vote for are the statewide offices, the plural executive, governor, lieutenant governor, controller, treasurer, on and on. Um, And those were also on our June ballot. So it's a top two primary. In June, we voted for the top two people that we wanted to consider in November. And here we are. Um, Because of that, they, even though they run as Democrats or Republicans um, or non-party affiliation, they um, can advance regardless of political party. So you could have a Republican versus a Democrat, which we traditionally see, or you could have a Republican versus a Republican or a Democrat versus a Democrat. Uh, so we've got some interesting races. Um, now, obviously, statewide, when you're looking at governor, that advantage of being a Democrat matters. It's a big advantage um, because there's an overwhelming advantage in registered voters. Uh, So Democrats tend to win those races, not always. Um, But I imagine, you know, more people knew who was running uh, against Gavin Newsom in the recall, Larry Elder, than could probably tell you who the Republican nominee is. Um, I I, I often wonder if I, you know, went out on the streets of North Orange County and offered 20 bucks to anybody who could name uh, the Republican candidate for governor, how long I would have my $20 bill. Brian Dahl is not particularly well known. He doesn't have a lot of money uh, to campaign. And so, um, you know, it's very likely that that will not be a, a very, uh, it'll be a very lopsided race for Gavin or something. So um, that advantage isn't true when we're talking about the newly drawn districts for Congress, for State Senate, for Assembly. And, and, and you may uh, actually see somebody on your ballot that says incumbent and you've never heard them before because we've switched those districts around and now you're voting in a different area than you did before. And you may not know the person who um, is already doing that job somewhere uh, in in Congress or state Senate or assembly. And you might not be voting for state Senate. Uh, A lot of people in North Orange County uh, won't be voting for another two years. 
um, for that district. Um, but some of these are safe Republican seats, some of these are safe Democratic seats, and many of them are competitive, as Orange County has you know, really become competitive in a lot of these elections. We've also got nonpartisan races, the second category in Orange County that had runoff elections for the November ballot. So June wasn't a primary necessarily, it was a runoff election. So if a candidate got a majority of the votes, the district attorney, got Todd Spitzer, won that election with a majority of the votes. So they don't appear on the November ballot. So you're not going to see district attorney or any of the county elected offices. Um, the sheriff didn't even have a contest, so he won outright. Um, all those judicial elections that we covered, oh, so many, there were nine. Um, eight of those were decided outright. Uh, and basically, the easy way to remember who won is anybody who had Orange County District Attorney Office as their ballot donation won. Um, and so the ninth race was the only race where no one had that. Uh, so two of the five advanced. Uh, and we have a runoff election between Michelle Bell, Orange County Commissioner, and Peggy Wong, who serves on the Yorba Linda City Council. Um, so you may know uh, those uh, names and uh, ballot designations from what they're currently doing and also from the June ballot. So um, two state races that could defy the kind of conventional wisdom that the Democrat is sure to win, we're not paying much attention, um, is controller. And then uh, the Board of Equalization. So controller uh, Lanhee Chen, the Republican, actually has a chance. Um, and, and this might be the best, uh, the Republican Party's best chance to win state office. So Malia Cohen is the Democrat. She's clearly favored for all of those reasons that the rest of the Democrats on the statewide ballot are favored. However, uh, Chen has a couple of advantages. Number one, there's no incumbent. Betty was termed out of office after eight years. So Malia Cohen is new to most people in the state as well. Um, number two, Chen has racked up some impressive endorsements, including some you wouldn't necessarily expect to come out and endorse a uh, Republican. Um, some papers, uh, no, no surprise, Bakersfield, California, and the Inland Valley Daily Bulletin, uh, uh, the Orange County Register have all endorsed him. But when you start looking, um, the East Bay Times and the Los Angeles Daily News and the Los Angeles Times have endorsed Chen. And so it's um, making a lot of people look at the Republican candidate for, uh, for controller a little more closely than they might have otherwise. Um, and, and number three, I think that some of the endorsements make the point that voters might want a fiscal watchdog um, over the rest of the Democrats who control um, these offices. So it's, it's possible that that would be true. And, you know, I don't, I don't see any of these uh, newspapers endorsing, you know, the Angela Underwood Jacobs, who's the, the Republican running for Lieutenant Governor or um, Jack Guerrero for uh, treasurer against Fiona Ma. Um, I think that this is the race where they're really looking um, because there's no incumbent because Chen has um, a really good campaign. Um, and, and some money. Um, his biography is kind of interesting. So is Malia Cohen's, by the way. Uh, she's incredibly qualified. She's got a great campaign, obviously got the backing of the Democratic Party and, and all of those advantages that the other Democrats do. But I just want to point out that, you know, this is probably going to be the race that people are watching um, because it's not uh, a guarantee or, you know, conventional wisdom doesn't have this race already in the Shirley Democrat column. Um, it's not say why, but the, the second race that we're looking at, um, it's a statewide board, the Board of Equalization, which is divided into geographic districts. 
Um, usually, the Democratic incumbent would have an easy time winning this Southern California district uh, without much of a campaign. And, and indeed, kind of not a lot of attention has been paid to uh, Mike Schaefer. But um, because there's another Democrat on the ballot, because the top two primary means that the top two vote getters and Dodson was one, um, it's only possible with these top two election rules. So Dodson versus Schaefer for Board of Equalization is shaping up to be an interesting race. Um, and, and, and really, there's three reasons that I think, again, um, number one, uh, the incumbent here, um, wow, uh, has been accused of being a slumlord, a spouse abuser, a racial troll, um, a suspended and um, actually disbarred. Lawyer, I really encourage you, and I'll link in the show notes to uh, Orange Juice blog that's been covering this for a long time. All credit to Greg Diamond, um, but he's got uh, the references that you can link to um, uh, for all of those accusations. Um, and to see really that the Democratic Party has endorsed somebody who, whew, wow, um, I, you know, I, I don't think that, um, that Mike Schaefer is deserving of those endorsements and rightfully called out by Greg Diamond. So thank you for keeping people honest on that, uh, Greg. Number two, um, with the Democratic alternative, some of the Democratic Party are realizing they can support and endorse the challenger against Democrat Mike Schaefer. And so David Dodson is starting to get traction in that area. He's running a great campaign, um, you know, grassroots, really working with the people, getting to know a lot of people, campaigning tirelessly. Um, and, and that leads me to number three, which is Dodson is just a great candidate. Um, and, you know, cynically, uh, I wish I could list that as number one, that that was enough, um, that, that because he's a great candidate, because he's deserving, that he uh, has a great chance of winning. But really without number one and number two, um, I'm not sure a lot of people look at number three and they vote for the incumbent because they're, they're the incumbent with the right to D or R next to their name. Um, so I'm hoping uh, that there's a lot of attention on David Dodson running for Board of Equalization. Um, then we've got uh, the, the, the judicial race that I talked about, Michelle Bell, uh, Michelle Bell versus Peggy Wong. Um, and then three seats contested for Orange County Board of Supervisors. Again, these are nonpartisan. So they don't list party affiliation when they're running, like the district attorney and the sheriff and all those other Orange County races um, that were decided in June. We've got three seats that nobody won a majority, and so they're going to run off uh, elections. Um, and, and so all six of the candidates are strongly supported by their political parties. Um, so we know uh, their political parties. The parties know uh, who they're the chosen candidates are. And, and two of the seats, it's kind of interesting, two of the seats are guaranteed to have a Democrat elected. So um, District 4 and District 2, we've got a Democrat versus Democrat and a Democrat versus Democrat. Uh, so because the board is made up of five people and the board members who aren't on ballot, uh, Andrew Doe and Don Wagner are are Republicans already on the board. That means this race decides the majority control of whether or not there will be a majority of Democrats or a majority of Republicans. So the, the race to really watch, the one where all the money and all the energy and all the attention should be going, is the fifth district, where incumbent Democrat Katrina Foley is running in a newly drawn district. So she's an incumbent that doesn't really represent the people um, that she's campaigning for. She's new to them, so she's introducing herself. Um, is running against former supervisor Pat Bates, a Republican 
former supervisor who went to Sacramento and now is running again um, to come back to the Board of Super, uh, Supervisors. We've seen that before. Todd Spitzer did that, uh, went up to Sacramento and then came back to the Orange County Board of Supervisors. Pat Bates is running for re-election. Uh, she's not an incumbent because she isn't, doesn't have the job currently, but um, certainly somebody with a lot of name recognition um, and well-known in the district. So that's going to be the race that really decides the outcome. However, that doesn't mean there won't be a battle extraordinaire for District 2 and Number 4. Um, and, you know, there, there are many folks who say, well, we know a Democrat's going to win. And so let's not have, a, you know, Democrats fight amongst themselves and, and, you know, raise tons of money and attack each other. And everybody's going to be bloodied and, and kind of weakened a, a after a, a really nasty uh, general election campaign with mailers going out attacking one another. However, um, I, that's all fine and good, um, but the candidates clearly see massive differences among themselves. People and supporters who know them well clearly have dividing lines and want their candidate to win. Um, and, and so we will see a lot of money and a lot of energy and a lot of campaign material um, for both of these uh, races for districts uh, four and two. So Sunny Park versus Doug Chafee, that was one that was kind of left in the balance with uh, a, a really close race between number two and number three. Steve Vargas, the Republican, didn't make the top two runoff. And so he um, returns to Brea City Council campaign running for re-election uh, there. Um, and so Sunny Park and Doug Chafee, the two Democrats. Doug Chafee is the incumbent, but uh, if you remember, Sunny Park got the Orange County Democratic Party's endorsement. So there's lots of division uh, there um, between who people are supporting. And then supervisor for the second district, uh, Vicente Sarmiento and uh, Kim Bernice Wynn, same thing, two Democrats uh, running to take that seat. Uh, and so there, there, again, divisions and 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 lines drawn and there will be lots of money spent on who ends up being the person who represents the second district for the Orange County Board of Supervisors. And then we've got a whole bunch of new people, a whole bunch of new races that we didn't see on a June ballot. Um, these are the city council and school board elections, including community college districts. I'm going to cover those races separate in the next episode. Uh, we'll talk about district elections versus at-large elections. We'll talk about some candidates who you won't even see on your ballot because they won by default as the only candidate running. The reality that district-based elections means some of you, even though there's a campaign in your school district or your city, won't actually get to vote um, because your district isn't on schedule and so even though there'll be lots of campaign material, even though you'll see lots of yard signs, you're not going to see anybody on your ballot because the move to district elections means that you as an individual voter are voting for just one person from your district to represent you on that board rather than those of us in at-large um, districts. Brea has not yet um, gone to district elections for our city council. We have for our school board. Um, but when I go to vote, Every two years, I'm either voting for two candidates in one cycle and three candidates in the next cycle, um, which is one of the advantages of at-large elections is I have a vote for everyone who ends up on the city council in my town. Those folks have to campaign um, across the entire town in a, in a smaller town like Brea. It, it's not such a barrier, clearly in a, in a large 
city like Anaheim, that's huge and one of the reasons that they went to district elections. Um, but that, that is a quirk of the rules of the elections is how many times you get to vote um, and, and for whom. So uh, the last thing on your ballot, which we're going to have to cover in detail, are these statewide ballot measures. And if, you know, if you're a California voter, you get used to having to learn a lot about a whole bunch of different topics to be an informed voter. Again, I want to remind you, you can leave it blank. Um, if you're not going to do your research, leave it blank. However, if you're listening to this podcast, you're all trying to be informed and engaged. So we're going to give you all the information you need to know who supports what, and what the unintended consequences are, and what's not being said in those ads that dominate uh, the airwaves right now. We're going to vote on abortion, gambling, tobacco, funding for the arts and schools, taxing the rich. And uh, it seems like it's not a California ballot unless we have to answer a question about dialysis clinics. Um, heavy sigh. Um, so this season, we're going to talk about, you know, why we might need a constitutional protection for reproductive rights, um, given the Supreme Court's decision on Dobbs, given their kind of indication that it, that might not be the end and there may be a national ban uh, or another Supreme Court case that interprets um, reproductive rights uh, and, and the right to an abortion differently. Um, some in California believe that we need to codify that, put it into the Constitution so that there's a legal challenge if indeed that um, national ban comes. So um, Prop 1, we'll talk about that. Um, then, then we've got competing initiatives. We've got to talk a little deeper about what you do when you have two different measures that are on the same topic. Um, and so Prop 26 and 27 are both about gambling. You probably, probably, if you <clears throat> exist in California, have seen way too many commercials um, for and against Prop 27, millions and millions of dollars being spent there. Um, we'll talk about what those do. And even if both of them pass, only one would go into effect or only parts of one would go to effect. You can't pass two different initiatives. The voters can't pass two different initiatives that say two different things. You know, so you, you can't say, uh, you know, whatever it is that we're voting on. Uh, you can't say we're going to have an insurance commissioner and we're not going to have an insurance commissioner pass both of those and have you know, the, the, the state somehow figure out what we actually mean. And so competing initiatives um, back in 1988, we had four about insurance commissioners and the one that gets the most votes wins. So if Prop 26 and 27 both pass, it's whichever measure gets the most votes, more votes than the other one um, that actually goes into effect. So uh, there's some election strategies involved with that. Uh, that, that sometimes come into play, but perhaps 26 and 27, both about changing uh, legalized sports betting. Um, we'll also talk about how a referendum works. Prop 31 is uh, a referendum, which is slightly different from the constitutional, you know, Prop 1 was put on the ballot by the California legislature as uh, a constitutional um, ballot measure. Props 26, 27, 28, 29, 30 uh, were all put on by the people uh, petition. Uh, gathers that, that got enough signatures to put that on the ballot. Um, but Prop 31 is a referendum, which means that the California legislature passed a law, um, which in this case banned flavored tobacco. Um, and, and then there were enough signatures gathered 
to have a referendum, which means that instead of passing something, you're trying to block something. So Prop 31 is an attempt to have the people veto the law that was already passed. So the California legislature passed a ban on flavored tobacco. It has not gone into effect because it was suspended until we, the voters, decide on Prop 31. And we either support what the California legislature did, or we agree with those who um, don't want it. Uh, $20 million already spent by the tobacco companies that really want this uh, to be defeated. Um, And so we'll see what happens with that. But um, then we'll talk about uh, Prop 28, which uh, changes the funding formula for K through 12 art and music education. Um, uh, Prop 29, which is the staffing requirements and uh, reporting requirements for uh, dialysis clinics. The the union has spent just so much money on on Prop 8 and Prop 23, um, but Prop 29 is back on the ballot trying to get the voters to support what um, they want to make changes in state law by the ballot um, on their dialysis clinics. Um, Prop 30 increases the tax on personal income over $2 million um, and, and, and dedicates revenue to you know, um, uh, energy efficient cars, EV cars, um, and, and then a, a portion for wildlife, uh, wildfire prevention programs. So that, that's kind of an overview of the ballot measures, but we'll talk more in depth uh, of what each of those do and who's for them and who's against them and who, who's paying for them because there is a lot of money being spent. So um, that's our, our start, our overview. I, I hope you're ready to engage um, with your ballot and meet the candidates and find out who is running in your, uh, in your community and who deserves your vote. So um, thank you for listening. So as always, thanks for listening. I couldn't do this podcast without you. A special shout out to my favorite listener, my mom, Peggy Jenkin, who listens to this podcast, even though she lives in Turlock, California and doesn't get to vote for 90, 95% of the people I talk to. Um, my executive producer, Ann Watka, who spent years talking me into this. Uh, a huge thanks to the producing team who makes this possible, Jackson Henry and Fiza Valiola. Um, if you haven't listened to Observing Fullerton, you know what to do next. Subscribe and listen to all their past episodes. As part of the Fullerton Observer, uh, the podcast team, Arush Naveed, Arian Meza, Bianca Bravo, and our own, Jackson Henry, keep you informed about the, uh, the Fullerton community with their podcast. So give them a listen. They've got a great show. Thanks. Talk to you soon.